Hello, you are listening to Poldark Fancast, a podcast about the Poldark saga created by the following fangirls. My name's Michelle, I live in the state. You can find me on Tumblr at Poldark Muses, and I tweet at Musing. And my name is Rita, I live in England, I Tumblr at Princess of Poldark, and I tweet at Rita Bites. And in this fancast, we'll be recapping and discussing episode 507 that aired yesterday night on BBC One. So if you haven't seen the episode and are averse to spoilers, then we recommend coming back when you have seen it. Let's begin this episode with a recap. So the episode began where the last one left off with Ross knocked unconscious down a mineshaft. And ironically, it's the mineshaft of Wheel Leisure, a fact we will come to learn later. So we are back where the show first began, in a sense. The next morning, and Demelza has sent out a search party looking for her boo. She enlists both of her brothers and the servants, as well as the help of Dwight and Caroline, but she still can't find the darn fella. Speaking of Caroline and Dwight, they have arrived back from London and have Kitty staying as their guest. There's still some tension between the couple, especially when it comes to Dwight's basically inviting Kitty to stay with him forever. <laughs> Might be something you talk over with your wife, bro. <laughs> <laughs> but luckily for them, they will soon have Ross's stupidity to distract them. The look on Caroline's face when he says, oh, I'm sure I speak for Caroline when it's perfectly fine for you to stay. And she's just like, what the fuck? Never speak for me again. Do you <laughs> even know me? <laughs> okay. Okay. So, again, speaking of, Ross is still down that mine shaft, and this time he is hallucinating. Yay! Just what Rita asked for. <laughs> he 100% heard the compliments of Mr. Merceron from the henchman and is now going over and over his interactions with the man, realizing that he was, in fact, a baddie all along. Epiphany had, he wakes up, realizes there is a lantern and matches lying next to him, thank you, Mr. Henchman, and uses it to find his way out of the mine. But on his way, he comes across bags of ore and ducks undercover as a bunch of smugglers are discussing the ore. French-speaking smugglers... And he does a dramatic pause, so you know this is important information. Dwight finds Ross wandering around and gives him medical treatment for yet another traumatic brain injury. Now I'm starting to think season 5 is all a lead up to Ross being institutionalised. <coughs> anyway, Ross wants to go back to London and get revenge against Merceron for trying to have him killed. Dwight begs him to be more sensible and to not risk his life again. But Ross is like, nah! I'm going back to London, and I'm going to have to lie to Demelza about it too. No. Bad Ross. Bad Ross. When he returns back to Nampara and Demelza asks what happened, he plays it off like, oh my god, random people hit me, who even knew? And doesn't mention the smugglers or the fact that he was dumped in a mine on Merceron's instructions. Oh, Ross. Back in London, and it's time to pay the piper for George, who receives a visit from Merceron himself. He said he had Ned killed and Ross thrown down a mineshaft, so he is expecting George to sign that contract real quickly. George responds that he, quote, never asked for it, and it's unclear if he's talking to himself 
or to invisible St. Lizzie again, but when his uncle says as much, George is like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about, Willis? Um, seems George has blocked out the entire thing. So Sam and Tess are still reading the Bible together, and Rosina, having had enough of Tess's bullshit, goes to the Poldocks with intel. About <laughs> time. She says Tess and her father Jacka are behind the recent theft of ore. Demelza and Ross, both having heard the news, go down the mine shaft in separate search parties. They both find a huge stash of guns and cannons and overhear the smugglers speaking French and come to the same conclusion. There's about to be a French invasion of Cornwall. Bonkers. What? Uh, when they discuss it, they both agree that Ross has to go back to London and report on this to not that Mr. Wickham. How convenient. When Dwight is informed of this plan, he decides he needs to tag along again. And he brings Caroline <laughs> and Kitty along for the ride. Didn't y'all just get back from London, like, half an hour ago? Ugh. Yeah. Uh, okay, I guess. Well, as soon as Ross arrives in the capital, he goes and confronts Merceron, like, Hey, bitch, surprise! Thought you'd seen the last of me? And Merceron, in the company of Ralph Hansen, just blinks at him. <laughs> Ross has, again, failed to understand the reach of the spy network. Merceron been new, yo. During the course of their conversation, it becomes clear that there is a heck of a lot Ross still doesn't know including the fact that Ralphie Boy is actually Merceron's half-brother. Merceron is connected. But Joseph Merceron rules the east of London. As magistrate, he has the power to sentence. As prison governor, the power to punish. As licensor and leaseholder, the oversight of every inn and alehouse in the city and beyond. He keeps a web of spies to nose out activity hostile to the crown. Information he passes to me, which I convey to the government, which in exchange turns a blind eye to his more nefarious dealings. Regardless of all that Merceron stuff, there's still a bunch of Frenchies invading England to worry about, so he rushes over to visit with his spymaster, not that, Mr. Wickham. He, however, has trust issues with Ross, who has been super tight with a hanged traitor after all. Wickham asks Ross to go back to Cornwall and get him some legit proof. Meanwhile, Dwight, Caroline and Kitty are on a crusade for revenge against Merceron in a totally legitimate way. They head to Hyde Park where Dwight hands out pamphlets, Kitty gives impassioned speech number a thousand of this show, and Caroline <laughs> speaks to high society about Merceron. They're using his position as prison governor against him and exposing his inhumane treatment of inmates. This naturally pisses Merceron off even more than anything, and he goes to George to complain. George, sensing the tide is turning against Merceron, tries to distance himself by escaping to Cornwall. Merceron, not content with shoving Ross down a mine, is now going to go after the Ennises and sends one of his henchmen to Hyde Park to where Caroline is riding and he tries to spook her horse and unseat her. Luckily for us, Caroline is a badass and an amazing horsewoman and calms the horse down pretty easily. But when Dwight hears about this, he worries that she is exposing herself and risking her reputation by helping them. 
She becomes annoyed and again implies that Dwight is too close to Kitty, who happens to clue in on the source of the building tension. Dwight says they must absolutely leave for Cornwall. Before we can leave, though, there is one more loose thread. Jeffrey Charles and Cecily, remember them? Hmm. She is still locked in her room and even barred from approaching the window. How humiliating. But she is able to send notes back and forth to Jeffrey Charles via her maid. Jeffrey Charles goes to Ross for assistance, somehow in a way that is never explained off, but off screen, Ross managed to get Cecily out of her prison and helps the lovebirds escape on a coach to Cornwall with everyone else. Did Ross do that or was that Jeffrey Charles? He was like, Ross, help me. And then something happened off screen because she just escaped. Oh, well. Oh, God. Anyway. Um, this is what happens when we have to do these things so quickly. <laughs> anyway, okay, so back in Cornwall, there is a lovely Poldark Karn family meal where everyone, and Tess for some reason, oh, that's right, Sam's all be smitten with the girl, hashtag barf, learns that Morwenna and Drake are having a baby. Wow, we really blew past that trauma, huh? Demelza begs Sam to see Tess for who she really is. Why she doesn't tell him Tess is smuggling is beyond me, but Sam seems to still believe that Tess is really redeemed through the power of the Lord or whatever. Ross, Dwight, Caroline, Kitty, Jeffrey Charles, Cecily, and George, and Carrie, and Valentine, <laughs> all arrive back in Cornwall, and hot on their heels, a Ralph and Merce run. <sighs> They know the Poldarks helped Cecily escape, and they figure that they need a bigger, quote, deterrent, end quote, to punish everyone involved. Insert evil laughter here. At Killawarren, Caroline and Dwight's rift continues to grow as Dwight catches Caroline reading some of his confidential patient notes. Notes about George's bout of insanity. You might want to put those in a drawer, Dwight, you know? What, what do I know? Anyhow, later on, Caroline is wandering in her mansion looking for Horace. It's not like him to wander off when he could be carried under Caroline's arm. And when she finds him lying strewn across the floor, and for a heartbreaking minute, I thought Debbie had killed him off. But listeners, he is fine. After some tender medical attention from his daddy, Horace is on the mend. But Caroline is pretty sure she knows he was poisoned and does what any self-respecting dog lover would do. Goes and blackmails George. See, now that she knows he was Looney Tunes, she can use it to pressure George into persuading Merceron to back the fuck down. Caroline is not just pretty face, people. George seems confused again. Who are they trying to protect exactly? Uh, till Uncle Carrie says, uh, that would be you, George. Now, Jeffrey, Charles, and Cecily have run away from London, but everyone knows where Ross lives, so Cornwall's not far enough. He has plans to get them onto a ship to America that night, and everyone is super nervous about Merceron's henchmen intervening, so they have to be stealth about the plan. Ross gets everyone to take guard posts about Nampara while the couple hide inside and he goes and prepares the rowboat he's going to use to row them out to their waiting ship. One teensy little hitch though. 
When Ross goes down to Nampara Cove for the rowboat, he is accosted by a bunch of Frenchies. Oops, forgot about them, didn't you, Ross? They lead Ross to their leader, who happens to be Monsieur Roscoff, which is what we think his name is. No, his name isn't Roscoff. I, I realized last night Roscoff is the name of the place. <laughs> oh, <laughs> okay. He's the hot French guy from season three. Um, they even do a bloody flashback to the forgettable season three scene so that people who blocked out that mess of a season can remember him. Ross, sensing an opportunity, claims that he has been, quote, rethinking, end quote, his loyalty to the crown lately and might be on board with joining a French invasion. Cash, French invasion, joining, cash. Uh, wow. <laughs> back at Nampara, Demelza is worried. Ross has been gone too long and they need to get Jeffrey, Charles and Cecily on that damn boat before it's too late. They decide to risk it anyway and sneak them out of the house. Big mistake. Lurking in the shadows are Merceron's henchmen. They tie everyone up in the stables except Jeffrey Charles, who they proceed to beat to a bloody pulp. Ralph, who has been lurking in the shadows, approaches Cecily, drags her to Jeffrey Charles, who is super fucked up by the way, and passed out on his own blood. <coughs> that was so loud that my puppy woke up and barked. <laughs> Ralph explains to his daughter that while she is useless to him, if she ever attempts to flee again with Jeffrey Charles, that he'll have him killed. Oh, awesome. Uh, George asks Merceron to stop his harassment of the Ennises and Poldarks. Even he thinks beating Jeffrey Charles up is going a bit too far. Merceron needs convincing, though, so George has to bribe him. After getting George to double his offer, ever a twat, Merceron agrees to leave everyone alone and head back to Evil Lair in London. Good riddance. After he is gone, though, George shows concerns that Caroline still knows his secret. It's now suddenly dawn for some reason, and Ross has been released by hot French guy. <laughs> Guess he turned that conversation around then. Demelza finds him and they hug in relief. Demelza tells him about how she was bound and gagged, and Ross seems actually super chill about the whole thing. Oh. You're okay though, right? Yeah. Ross's explanation of what happened to him, however, leaves much to be desired. In his version, the Frenchman that found him believed him when he said he wandered into the mine accidentally. She asks him if he mentioned the weapons at all. Do you think me an idiot? Uh, yes, Ross, we've made t-shirts about it. <laughs> she says he is an idiot, but she loves him beyond measure. Now, that would be cute if he wasn't a lying liar who lies. Still the next morning and Cecily is doing her best to try and help patch up Jeffrey Charles, but he is still a damn mess. He says he is still determined to marry her, but she is forced to break things off as best she can. These last few weeks have brought me to a better understanding of myself. I dislike the creature I've become. Reckless, hysterical, capable of risking her life, of risking yours. If we are not together, would you want to live? Yes. With all my heart, I love this life. There's so much to challenge, to achieve, to make better. But the world would not let me do any of that if I became a wife. She gives a fucking magnificent speech about how they are still children and do not know about real, deep, unflinching, and abiding love. 
true dat. I don't, I don't know if any of these people do. Maybe Horace and Caroline. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Kitty is on the next boat to Jamaica, and for some reason, it's leaving Truro Harbor, which... I mean, I can't even. She says goodbye to everyone, insisting that Ned did not leave her without means to live and that she won't be alone now she is preggers. Cecily, now somewhat free of her father, is also on the same boat with Kitty. She says her goodbyes to Geoffrey Charles, makes him promise to move on, and gives him one last lingering kiss. Kind of a mixed message there, girl, but you do you. Ross... Dwight, Caroline, Demelza, and Jeffrey Charles all watch them sail off as dramatic music plays and wind blows through their hairs majestically. You know the usual Poldark stuff. <laughs> Demelza tells Jeffrey Charles, quote, there will be other loves, end quote. Psh, spoilers. As they walk back, Ross asks Dwight to look after Demelza as his future actions, quote, may seem strange, end quote. Oh, Ross, we do not like the sound of that. And after he does some dramatic clip-top brooding, bingo! Ross goes to meet Roscoff, or whatever his name is. They're just meeting in broad daylight now? And you call yourself a spy, Ross? And they talk about the day there will be a French fleet on the horizon. Dun-dun-dun-dun! Oh, Lord. Okay, so, did you like the episode... I thought it was an improvement on last week's, but I hated that with the fire of a thousand black suns, so not much <laughs> of a step up. But I don't know if that was just me lowering my expectations for what was to come, or if it was actually okay. Unlike with all previous episodes, I had no time to do a rewatch. I had to write notes as the show aired and write my recap based on them. So if I got anything wrong, oh, don't like, don't even come at me. It's right and i you know i tend to get a better grasp of the episode on rewatch so i feel like i'm just like shuffling in the dark here yeah yeah well you know like you said you're based on your rating from 506 there wasn't too far to go to hit rock bottom so (laughs) uh i think i think one of the things that we had with this episode was we had the director who was at the helm of the first three episodes of the series uh, Sally Abrahamian, um, and I don't think that it's a mistake that there was an improvement, you know, with her back at the helm. Um, as far as I'm concerned, to be honest, it required multiple rewatches for me to make sure I'd understood everything that was shoehorned into the episode. Um, and at this late date, having an episode like that, um, and one that leaves a person needing to watch and watch and watch again, uh, with only one episode remaining of the entire series to tie up these loose ends. Not cool. Thank you very much. So, um, time for a history fact check. Uh, did France really plan to invade England? Uh, Yes. Uh, Over the course of the Napoleonic Wars, there were a few planned invasions, though they never carried out. Kind of like when I planned a diet. But it was a major influence on British naval strategy and the fortification of the coast of southeast England. French attempts to invade Ireland in order to destabilise the United Kingdom or as a stepping stone to Great Britain had already occurred in 1796. 
The first French army of England had gathered on the Channel Coast in 1798, but an invasion of England was sidelined by Napoleon's concentration on camps, campaigns in Egypt against Austria. And so he shelved them in 1802 because of the Peace of Amiens, Amiens Treaty. Oh my God, there's going to be so many mispronounces of French people. Delanda, why are you here? <laughs> anyway, that peace did not last long though. Preparations began again in earnest soon after the outbreak of war in 1803, which I think is when we're in hashtag product time. Who could possibly yeah. know? So from 1803 to 1805, a new army of 200,000 men Damn. known as the Armée de Côte de l'Ocean. <laughs> Love my accent. <laughs> uh, army of the Ocean Coast or the Army de l'Angleterre, Army of England, was gathered and trained in camps at Boulogne and Bruges. Port facilities at Boulogne were improved, even though its tides made it unsuitable for such a role. That's going to become a theme here, and forts built. Whilst the discontent and boredom that often threatened to overflow among the waiting troops was allayed by constant training and frequent ceremonial visits by Napoleon himself, a medal was struck and a triumphal column erected at Boulogne to celebrate the invasion's anticipated success. <laughs> that, Honey, that seems that. That that seems a little premature, don't you think? It kind of reminds me of when um, George W. Bush did that uh, mission accomplished. Oh, yeah. Mission accomplished? Yeah. However, guys, when Napoleon ordered a large-scale test of the invasion, despite choppy weather and against the advice of his naval commanders, many men died. These preparations were financed by the Louisiana Purchase of 1803, whereby France ceded her huge North American territories to the United States in return for a payment of 50 million French francs. The entire amount was spent on the projected invasion. The United States had partly funded the purchase by means of a loan from Baring Brothers. Wait for it. A British bank. <laughs> uh, ironic. Yeah. Uh, before the uh, militia could cross, however, Napoleon had to gain naval control of the English Channel, which was being blockaded by a huge British fleet. After years of trying, only one boat managed it. Therefore, on the 27th of August, 1805, Napoleon used the invasion army of 200,000 men as the core of the new Grand Army and had it break camp and march eastwards to begin the armed campaign against Austria. Thus, by the time of the Battle of Trafalgar, hashtag you might have heard of it, <laughs> on the 21st of October that year, the invasion had already been called off, and so the battle further guaranteed British control of the channel, preventing any attempt at an invasion. What a loser, Napoleon. Wow. You really thought you could. <laughs> oh, God, what an asshole. <laughs> What an asshole. But, uh, you know, I'll tell you, I never knew the connection between the Louisiana Purchase and this war buildup. So thanks, Rita. You're welcome. Thank you very much. <laughs> okay, uh, let's get into storylines. And let's start off with the one that, that I think 
we both absolutely adored from the very start. Uh, Jeffrey Charles and Cecily. <sighs> yeah, I really, oh, I still love this storyline. I think it's held a real emotional punch and made even a cold hard cynic like me hope against hope. <laughs> These two actors just did a really great job creating a dynamic that was believable and felt authentic. Rare for a romance on the show. I'm looking at you, Draw Winner. And I love that Cecily gave that speech about wanting her independence. It's not true, technically, but I totally believe that she is going to go forward and live her life on her own terms and for herself. She is a woman with great convictions. I'm going to miss her. Yeah, yeah. I'm not afraid to admit it, but or to admit it, but I cried like a baby when um they were talking about the fact that they couldn't continue. And I kept looking at Jeffrey Charles and his little single tears down his cheek thing that he uh has inherited from Francis and I was just like, "Poor babe, poor babe." It was it was very sad, very sad. <sighs> Hashtag broken heart. Yeah. So let's talk about Ross and the Frenchies. You know, I thought I would be more annoyed, but I honestly don't mind this. It's not a terrible concept. After mm-hmm. all, Ross has to become a spy for the crown some way. I mean, it's in the books. And yep. this is a pretty good explanation as any, uh, but it feels really freaking late in the season to do this. Yeah, Debbie should have killed Ned off much sooner if we are to buy into this storyline before the final. Again, she has misused her time. Way to go, Debbie. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, there's... There's no time to really get into the logic and story development for um, a plot line of this magnitude. I mean, this is, this is a, if I'm looking at the previews correctly and all of the things that happen in there, um, it's going to be a real stretch to see all of this go down in 60 minutes. So. Oh, but it's par for the course for this show, isn't it? Even given eight more episodes to do what she pleases, she couldn't come up with a way of making this satisfying. Yep. Yep. Okay. How about Dwight and Caroline? I don't really understand what the point of this jealousy plot is with Caroline, and I'm not sure it's going to even be resolved adequately, which makes the whole thing so frustrating. So far, I have seen nothing from Dwight that has gone beyond friendship with Kitty, so her jealousy seems hella random, and I'm not here for Caroline looking petty for the sake of it. Way to ruin the character. Yeah, I um, I seem to recall that there, you know, at one point during the um, earlier episodes, you know, when when uh, Dwight was off treating George, um, that she Caroline could have possibly misconstrued that there was maybe something more going on uh between uh Dwight and Kitty but it was that was a really tenuous kind of um clue if if you will um that you know this whole thing is another victim of the need uh, to bring in more and more new characters and by that I'm speaking more of the uh, Tess kind of situation rather than Kitty's inclusion in the, the storyline. Um, and 
what that does is it winds up being a detriment to uh, the existing characters that, you know, we have grown to love, like uh, Dwight and Caroline. What about George and his his new buddy, Merceron? Uh, I found it interesting that of all the ways for this storyline to conclude, the one person to vanquish the evil of Merceron from this show was actually George. Maybe <laughs> only evil can fuck with evil, you know? <laughs> uh, Merceron in general has been an interesting villain, though. Much more interesting mm-hmm. than someone like Ralph, who's just pantomime villain level. Um, mm-hmm. Because he was just so well connected. He was basically the establishment. And we've never really seen a villain on the show like that. It's almost Mm -hmm. impossible to take that down unless you're part of that same system. I think that's why Ross never could have defeated him and Caroline was very clever to realize that. Mm -hmm. Although there, I do have a question. Did George wind up having to pay out the money to Merceron? Um, He said to uh, Carrie that uh, they'd saved a small fortune. So that leads me to believe that Ralph's threats to Cecily were a bigger help towards neutralizing Merceron than anything. But hell, who knows? Could have missed something along the way. Uh, it would not surprise me. I interpreted that as him meaning that by not signing that contract, he wouldn't be paying out an even larger sum into a business that was pretty uncertain given the push for the abolishment of slavery. Ah, uh, uh, okay, okay. That makes total sense. Could have made that a little bit more explicit. You think? <laughs> Maybe a little bit? Well, we had 17 other storylines to get to. Exactly, exactly. Um, and one of them, I don't know if it had anything to do with Demelza. Do you think that she got a storyline again in this episode? No, I feel like she spent the whole episode just wandering around Cornwall looking for Ross. Ross, where's Ross? Ross! Have you seen him? Oh my god! Or, you know, telling Tess off for the billionth time. I just think this is what a disappointing end for such a beloved character. Yeah, yeah. It was all over the place. uh, A real mess. And, um, like I said, if the previews are to be taken as any indication, a slow motion return to the miscommunication trope that lives at the foundation of this adaptation's version of Ross and Demelza is quickly approaching. Someone take it out and shoot it in the back garden, because I am done! Please, please, please. Okay, so, uh, favorite scene of what you remember. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. Uh, I woke up and was like, I can't remember the episode! Panic, panic, panic! (laughs) What happened last night? Um, But what I do remember is the scene where Cecily was ending things with Jeffrey Charles. Both those actors were really bringing it. And I really Mm -hmm. felt the heartache. But I also really quite enjoyed the writing because I felt like Cecily was being almost truthful with Jeffrey Charles in giving him very legitimate reasons to end their relationship. I mean, Mm -hmm. they are young. I swear to God, they're like 16, 17. Um, (laughs) But you still knew that she was just doing it to save Jeffrey Charles. I think the actress played the line between being convincing enough to fool him, but sad enough to play the lie to the viewers. And um, that's quite hard to do. Like, 
huzzah, well done, well done. Yeah, yeah. That was a beautiful street. Uh, that was a beautiful scene. And um, the girlfriend, she's got the most blood-curdling scream uh, <laughs> I've heard in a long time. She's got that thing down to a T. Jeez, warn a body before you do something like that. Uh, my ears, uh, because I was wearing headphones while I was watching, they're still ringing. <laughs> I swear to God, my puppy is going to be traumatized for life. Oh, my God. Um, and there were other uh, scenes that I found um, enjoyable as well. I had to laugh at the scene where Prudy was clutching the chicken. That <laughs> <laughs> was just delightful. I was like, I was like Prudy, oh. why are you holding a chicken? <laughs> And I also loved it when Caroline was having her conversation with Horace. Um, and Horace was like, Grumpy <laughs> <laughs> soaks. Yes, pretty poppy. Okay, so, uh, least favorite scenes. I mean, any and all hallucinations slash dreams slash flashbacks. I think we got all three <laughs> of them this week. <sighs> yeah. I think a reliance on these tropes is just bad writing. And storytelling, because it's not used often enough on this show to be considered part of the fabric. And yet we get it every now and then, and I'm like, what the fuck? Um, <laughs> also, I have to say that when Horace was on the ground and I thought he was dead, oh I was literally God. like, fuck you, Debbie! Not the dogs! Oh my God. I almost had a heart attack. Yeah. Ta- uh, heart oh. attack. Hashtag save the dogs. God, I yelled at the screen. I was like, no, no, no. We can't have Horace just lying. Good good puppy acting for scaring the crap out of us. But, oh. That dog that was, was probably horrible. just asleep that day. Had a really good day on set. <laughs> Got to sleep through his lines. Oh, sweet baby. Um, okay, performance of the week. Uh, whoever did the makeup on Jeffrey Charles slash Freddie Wise. Oh. Wow, that shit was horrifying. The thing they did with his eye. (laughs) Outstanding work. Oh, my God. It was just awful. Um, This has been uh, some of the best special effects makeup uh, that uh, I know I've seen in this entire series. Uh, So uh, kudos to the the effects folks. Great job. And yet some of the worst wick work we've ever seen, too. Oh, oh. Peaks and troughs, people. (laughs) <laughs> so how many tricorns would you give this episode three tricorns because i'm feeling generous is this where i would have had the penultimate episode of podoc head no i think this whole thing is low-key a waste of my time but as a standalone episode i think it's pretty good it had a lot of drama and intrigue and like emotion i just kind of wish that it wasn't how the show was ending, you know? It it would be a good, like, episode five, not yeah. episode seven. Yeah, yeah. I uh, totally agree with you. Um, I'll give it a three, and that's a very, very, very apprehensive three. Okay, uh, Critics Corner this week. Um, as ever, our hero over at Den of Geek, Louise Melor, really captured this week's crazy erratic tone. Poldark has never trusted its viewers to have much of an attention span. It seems to worry we'll get bored if a scene lasts longer than it takes for somebody to gaze out of a window and sigh. Conversations are sliced up and filleted to the extent 
that it can feel as though we're watching a continual procession of arrivals and exits interspersed with snippets of dialogue and the odd screensaver shot of a dewy cobweb or some poignant geese or the glittering Cornish Sea. We're used to that, but this penultimate episode goes into hyperdrive. Nobody sits still for a a second. Carriages rattle back and forth between London and Cornwall. The Poldark children only ever seem to say one word, an excited papa as they rush to greet their errant father at the door. Ross is in the capital one minute, home the next. This week he went missing, was found, went missing again, and was found again. (laughs) Cecily was locked up without hope one minute and mysteriously free the next. Anyone attacked looked dead for five seconds before instantly (laughs) reviving. It's as if a cat had been left alone to paw randomly at the fast forward and rewind button. (laughs) Oh, that's so perfect. (laughs) See, the the whole Cecily being locked up and then mysteriously free the next thing. It wasn't me messing up with the... With the recap, that's literally how it happened. No. She just randomly no, appeared that... and you were like, but how did you get free? <laughs> no, that is totally true. Um, and, uh, you know, I had been on Facebook earlier today and um, Bonnie from uh, one of the Facebook groups had found the section in the Poldark um book uh the angry tide where she talks about the um kind of the the where Demelza basically they go through Demelza's first trip into London and they kind of follow along the path that they would have taken uh to get there and uh it, it's a great find um it's like they go from uh from their home to Let's see, they go from their home to Truro and then to St. Austell and then they go to Lost Withiel and then Liskyard and then uh, they cross the Tamar by ferry at Torpoint, dined in Plymouth, then they go to Ivy Bridge for tea, slept in Ashburton, um, then they are in Bridgewater uh, after dining in Colompton. And taking tea at Taunton. Then the fourth day they are getting to Marlborough. Fifth day they reach Maidenhead. Uh, then they get to Hounslow Heath, which is the hub of the western exits from London. Um, and then, you know, 75 miles they go until they arrive at Ross's lodgings. <laughs> and um, apparently, Hounslow Heath is where Heathrow is now at. And so, so, you know, th- those are all of the stops that they made along the way over the course of a five-day journey um, to get from their home to London. And in this episode alone, that trip was made four times. It drove me up the wall when they were like, oh, we've been back 24 hours, but let's just leave again and go back to London. I was like, no! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> No one would do that. That was crazy. Yeah, that was crazy. Um, so I uh, definitely want to give a major shout out to Bonnie for finding that piece and, and uh, giving me an opportunity to kind of wrap my brain around um, exactly where they wound up going. And apparently much of the route 
is along the M5 now. Oh god, that <laughs> route is actually a whole ass nightmare if you've ever been stuck <laughs> on a bank holiday Monday as it is today. Oh man. I hope nobody is driving that now while they're listening. Oh god. Okay, so thank you Den of Geek. Um any inbox today? Now, because of the quick turnaround between the episode airing and us recording, thanks again, BBC, I didn't need any sleep, uh, we haven't got an inbox section this time, but fear not, we will be back later in the week with a podcast on the final, and we want to know what you guys thought about it. Email us at Fancast or message us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or on Tumblr, and you could be read out on the show. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's look ahead at the last ever episode of Poldark that airs tonight. Here's the trailer. If your own country betrays you, to whom do you then owe loyalty? I present General Jules Toussaint. This country does not deserve liberty. It punishes loyalty and rewards corruption. Colluding with the French at the highest level. His hanging should be more spectacular than his friends. Let us find a more fitting place so we can take our time. When I look in your face, I see a stranger. I must leave. You no longer love her? No, I no longer love her. He's a liar and a bully. He is also a traitor. Uh, oh, my God. I don't want to talk about it, but what we have to. What the hell? <laughs> oh, yes, we do. Uh, this is the episode description from Radio Times. Uh, Several months have passed and Ross has got in deeper with the French invasion force as they prepare to welcome their leader, General Toussaint. Meanwhile, Marwenna and Drake are ready to welcome their baby while George stumbles on the means to undo Ross once and for all. Again. With the help of Merceron and Hanson. Oh, God. this? <laughs> um, Ross and his friends must launch their most daring plan yet to try to save themselves and the country from enemies both at home and abroad. Last ever episode from the drama starring Aiden Turner. Last in the series. You know, it's the last ever. They have to mention it twice in like the span of a sentence. Yeah, exactly. So what are you looking forward to in the final? Are you looking forward to anything? <laughs> um, I am going to hope and pray that we are not left wondering about the fate of this family this couple because we all know that there are more books um we all know that you know maybe some time down the road um there will be a desire to pick up and and do um more of these episodes more of this show but um i am i'm truly a little worried. So I, I, I don't know. I don't know if I can say that there is anything I can look forward to except some kind of happy resolution to some of these storylines that we are seeing flap in the breeze. Well, you know that Eleanor did say that there would be a cliffhanger. So brace yourself, people. It's gonna be yeah. traumatic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is. Oh, my God, please, please let us have some snippet of goodness. I'm looking forward to uh, seeing hot French guy again. He truly is oh, super yeah. hot. Yeah. So hot. 
I mean, where did they find him? And can we please just have I don't him know. strip or something? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let me see that into my dreams. For you would tonight. think that, that like, if he lovely. came along as the welcoming party, everyone in Cornwall would just be like, yeah, okay. Come invade if everybody's as hot as you. <laughs> uh, noise. <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, okay. So, pull dark card grain question. Rita, it's your turn to try to stump me. Pick a number between one and three. Um, I'm going to go with number one. What bribe does Judd take to testify against Ross at his trial? A, a cask of ale. B, 15 guineas. C, a new suit. 15 guineas. Ding, ding. (laughs) (laughs) George asks Dr. Ennis to confirm whether or not Valentine was premature. An eight-month child. True or false? True. Yes. What is the first name of Mark Daniel's wife who Dr. Ennis falls in love with? Karen. Ooh. Yes. (laughs) I I, I actually had to... Yeah, I, I, I had a, there was a momentary panic there for a second. I was like, <gasps> Karen! <laughs> no, the first time that Ross had to help somebody escape out onto a boat into another boat. Oh, right, right. God, do you remember Mark Daniels? Fucking rat tail that kills his wife and then gets helped escape. Yes, I'm yes. still angry at Ross about yes, that. Then... I've still got some season one beef. <laughs> We're just like helping... Wife killers escape now, really, Ross? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but hey, at least that was in the book. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> On that note, that is all from us this time, but we will be back later in the week recapping and discussing episode 508, the last ever episode. No! Until then, follow us on social media where we keep you guys up to date with new promotional photos, cast interviews, and other general news. We are at Poldark Fancast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. If you'd like to be read out on the inbox section, then email us at poldarkfancast at gmail.com or go to our message page on Tumblr. And remember, you can now listen to us on Spotify. So... Follow us there or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
this feeling. 